Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Dave Johns. Dave has served in campus and sports ministry for an incredible 45 years. Dave and his wife, Barb, continue in campus ministry to this day. And with that much experience, Dave now helps Athletes in Action staff develop both their vision and their ministry skills. To this day, Dave's fire to touch the lives of athletes with Jesus' message of forgiveness and freedom is still burning bright. We have so much to talk about, so let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Dave Johns join us on the show today. Dave, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about sport in your life? Sure. First of all, thanks, guys, for having me. It's just an honor to be hanging out with you guys like this and to be on the show. Yeah, I've been loving playing sport all my life. When I was a kid, it was uh, touch football in the playground. I played until the sun went down. Or uh, that old hide-and-seek game, kick the can. Uh, we did that for hours and hours. I played community hockey until I was 18, not at the elite level, even though that was the dream, you know, to 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 uh, play in the NHL one day. But I was just kind of a grinder. Played some high school football, quarterback, grade 11 and 12, and then uh, I didn't go to university for a couple of years, but missed sports. So I volleyball looked easy. So I said, Hey, coach, can I join the team? And uh, he promptly put me on the bench of the third team because, of course, I had no idea how to play a game at that level. Mm. But I worked my way up uh, to the varsity team after a couple of years. But um, I knew you were going to ask this question, so I was thinking about it. The culture of sport, I've hung around all my life, too, not just as an athlete. So when I was 13, I got a job as the dressing room boy, the ball boy, the water boy, for, uh, I grew up in the city of Calgary for Calgary's professional football team, the CFL. And when I was 14, they played in the Grey Cup, which is, which is like your Super Bowl. And I'm standing on the sidelines as a 14-year-old at the Grey Cup. And uh, when I was a student in university, the Olympic Games came to Montreal, Canada, and I applied for the job. And they gave me the job of hosting Canada's men's team at the Olympics. I was responsible to get them to every match and the right color uniform. And and when the match started, I'm on the bench, one meter from the competition. Um, and in university, I also started to volunteer in the athletic therapy room. And by the time I graduated, I was a certified athletic therapist. So. There's just something about sport. I just want to hang around. <laughs> if I can't play, I still want to be there. So that's kind of been my story. Fascinating. So much to explore there for us. I, I, I love every bit of that. Tell us a little bit about faith in your life. So that was a journey, too. I grew up in a church going home, um, form a church that was liturgical, you know, formal, stained glass windows and the old hymns. So for a kid to want to be out in the playground, it was kind of boring. I didn't 
quite get it. Well, I, th I guess I got it, but I, I didn't want it. So in somewhere in late high school, in those days before university, I tried to talk myself into being an atheist. And I tried really hard to be an atheist for five years. And uh, later on, you know, after I became a believer, I go, why did I do that? And I think it was because um, other things became very attractive to me. Uh, too much alcohol pursuit and girls. And uh, I think I was guilty pursuing those things. So I got rid of God to try and get rid of the guilt. So those days at church sowed some seeds into me, I think, that were bearing fruit, and but I was rejecting it, you know. And then about five years into the atheist experience, uh, it was almost like God was saying, are you finished with this nonsense? <laughs> like, you know, like, he was gracious or something. So, um, and through the influence of this girl I was dating who would... You know, she brought up she was a Christian, and I'd get so mad, I'd make her cry. But I finally just got down on my knees one day and said, Jesus, come into my life. And uh, and married the girl. So that, that was the beginning of, of my faith walk. and um, Just trying to been pursuing that ever since, I guess. Yeah, Dave, so... Um Already some interesting things here. You're anything but boring. I know that. I uh, have lots of questions for you, but I wonder if you could choose one thing to describe yourself, uh, maybe a hobby, an activity, something you've done that uh, helps our listeners get to know you. Well, something that uh, I think you also said before, something that people don't know about. So I was thinking about that. And this is my other fantasy, actually. So one was, you know, to be a professional athlete. The other one, if I could live two lives and could have a whole different life, I would become, I would want to become a blues musician. Hmm. <laughs> I play blues harmonica, and my church lets me play every once in a while. And uh, I would pursue that. So that's... That's well, we we are looking for some new bumper music, so some yeah. new intro music. So maybe we'll have to record some of the melodic tones of the harmonica. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely the blues. My, yeah, it's about as good as my hockey, so you better be careful. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that'll fit right in. That's that's yeah. great. So you have um, pursued then these two interest areas kind of in in succession overlap in, in many ways right this idea of that faith matters to you yeah that that your your faith is not just something on the side it's something that drives your life yeah uh but also this just inherent as you described love to be in the sport community something about the sport community spoke to you and you wanted to be there how is that sort of materialized as you've kind of walked through um, things that were uh, part of your career, yeah, but also just, uh, you know, interest areas? Well, uh, uh, my wife, when my wife and I, Barb, got married, we, <clears throat> we thought we were being called to ministry, so we joined Campus Crusade for Christ. That's basically who we've been with now for, for, for 45 years, and they assigned us to a campus. UBC out in uh, beautiful Vancouver, 
And um, Athletes in Action those days, which is part of Campus Crusade, was only a, a pro-chaplaincy ministry in those days and a touring basketball team. But uh, we, were, we wanted to go and speak to the athletes. So there's that connection again. I'm on campus, but I want to hang around the, the athletic guys. So we did these team meetings with, with those guys, and we could borrow the name Athletes in Action. So kind of very from the first even few days of ministry, um, I was hanging around the athletic department and the physical education department. Um, and so uh, we moved a couple of places to back to our hometown Calgary and did that. And then when I moved to where I live now, Winnipeg, someone said, why don't you just focus on athletes on the two campuses there, University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg, and see what happens. And so I did, walked into a real open door. The athletic directors were very open. And um, just started working with student athletes. And that kind of morphed into a couple of other staff were doing that into our, our Athletes in Action Canada uh, student ministry, which is still going today. And then after about five years of doing that, the chaplaincy uh, for the now the CFL pro team in Winnipeg, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, came open and I was asked to take that on. So then I became the chaplain for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for about 17 seasons. The Winnipeg Jets of the NHL, I started chaplaincy there. But they got bought out and moved to Phoenix and didn't come back for about 15 years. And there was a little baseball team that played in a, an independent league that we started chaplaincy for. So uh, it just grew. I just kept connecting with the sport world and and uh, tried to get permission to have a ministry on the inside of it for many, many years, yeah. So you talked about hanging around. you got a history of, of hanging around, being around sports in different capacities, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm sort of yeah. fascinated by this. In some sense... This is what a sports chaplain does, right? You, you hang around. What do you, yeah. how do you respond to, say, uh, a critic that says, well, that's all that you do? I mean, can you talk a little bit about some of the systems that you've put in place or some of the things that you're doing? Maybe you can share a little bit of some highlights of walking alongside athletes or teams. Because, you know, the hanging around is, is the physical presence, of course, yeah. of what you're doing. Yeah. And it's important to, to do that to be able to sow the seeds of relationships. But... Well, there's so much more going on. Share a little bit about what, what it is that, that's been sort of uh, front and center for you in the hanging around as a, as a sports chaplain. Yeah. So, well, sport culture is kind of closed, you know, especially a pro team. You, you know, there's security or, or whatever. That it's, it, nobody can get in. You, it's, lock, it's kind of a lockdown. University is a little more open. You can kind of hang around in the hallways and stuff. Um, and so... Be, because it's a bit of a closed culture, you 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 got to be an insider somehow. So hanging around, kind of, you slowly develop that trust. Or who is this guy? Or you know, which guys want to be seen talking with the chaplain? You know, stuff like that. So that's how you start. And uh, the Christian guys kind of want you around, but you got to make sure. Uh, you know, they're not nervous that you're around when they're in the room and everybody's kibitzing or talking about what they did on the weekend or whatever. Um, and then you try and get more formal, often just meeting guys. Yeah, hey, you just want to go for coffee or have lunch and, and 
they tell their story and you tell your story. That's kind of how it begins. Uh, hopefully a weekly Bible study starts with a, with a few members and then they try and invite their friends. And then what's real traditional, of course, in pro sports is the game day chapel. So that's that's been well established for decades in, in pro football where on game day they meet for 15, 20 minutes. You give a short message and pray for the guys. Uh, hockey was quite resistant to that for for quite a while. There's kind of a culture of toughness in hockey and they weren't quite sure about this chaplaincy thing. And it reflected Canadian spirituality too. Religion is private and it's not as open as public as it might be in the States or other countries. So yeah, you, you hung around until you could start gaining trust and then and then uh, started meeting people more regularly. Does that, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm curious, Dave, you've been you've been at this a while and you, yeah. you stuck with it, which is interesting that, um, you know, it, it, it can be frustrating. Uh, you're jumping around from one place to the next. Uh, it is in some ways hard to describe the role and it's not very routine in some yeah. ways that you're uh, trying to recreate all the time. Tell me how you figured out how to do this. Uh, formal training and informal training. How did you learn how to do campus crusade or campus ministry? Um, and how did you learn how to um, get connected to athletes, particularly, um, through formal training, um, maybe schooling of some sort, but also who's kind of inspired you along the way? Hmm. Those are, those are good questions. I've got to think about that. Um, well, Campus Crusade for Christ is a pretty kind of a bit of a formal organization. You know, they they teach you how to share your faith. Well, how do you do that? So they wrote, you know, the famous four spiritual laws. So just walk through this booklet. You can share the essence of the gospel with anyone with these four points. So they created that. Uh, Ministry of the Holy Spirit, they create another little four-point booklet, booklet to how to understand what the filling ministry of the Spirit is. Uh, then they used to just have these other booklets, the Ten Steps to Christian Growth and the, the Nine Transferable Concepts. And So uh, yeah, we just kind of learned that on campus. Uh, of course, in those days, you know, students have a lot more time than most people. They think they're busy, but really they're only going to 20 hours of classes a week or something, they got lots of time. So you could just meet people and kind of walk through the booklets with them, you know, and start discussion groups. So I guess with that training, interesting question, how do you do it with the pros? Probably very similar, but then it's more now in your head. You have the gospel in your head, you have the stuff in your head, but uh, then we'd still either walk through a book with the pros or Sometimes in, in discipleship, do some of those basic lessons, campus crusade lessons. Um, so you did, I guess I just kind of took the campus ministry training and combined it with the, how do I do this in the locker room? And there's way less guys. You know, if you're on a campus of 20,000 students, you just keep connecting with people until you find people that are interested, you know? We used to be, we used to do classroom surveys and random evangelism and, and events and all sorts of stuff to gain contacts. It was pretty easy. But when there's only fifty guys in a in a football locker room or 
20 and a hockey one. Uh, if nobody's interested, then what do you do? You know, your your audience is a lot smaller. Yeah. When you're working with, um, you know, the pro teams, I guess I'm interested in that in that too. So so campus campus crusade is, is set up to you know to work with college students, and then of course the arm of that yeah. you talked about. Um, you're interested in spending time with the athletes specifically who <clears throat> have a bit of, a bit more of a, an open door than. And the pros do, right? Those cultures are a little bit more closed, harder to get into. So you're working with pro teams also. Uh, I'm going to flex a little bit. I think I know the Calgary team was Stampeders. Am I right? That's the yeah. CFL yeah. team in Calgary. Um, and then the, the Blue Bombers in Winnipeg. So you're working with those two teams. And you mentioned that uh, with hockey, though, the, the culture of hockey was a little bit more resistant to having someone like you around than the culture yeah. of football. But we're still talking about Canadian football, and we're talking about hockey in, in Canada. What's what's the difference between those two cultures? And I recognize that there's probably American players, uh, uh, maybe more so in the in the Canadian Football League teams than there were for the, in the NHL teams, although I imagine there were some of both. What's the difference between those two cultures related to the acceptance of sort of a spiritual guide like yourself being around them? Huge difference. So uh, football, so the CFL in those days allowed... 20 what they call import players, so 20 Americans. So American football culture is huge, you know, hundreds of colleges producing athletes. So uh, every team would have 20 athletes and often what they call that the skilled positions, the quarterbacks, the DBs, the wide receivers, <laughs> and then the old linemen and the linebackers were Canadian. It was kind of, kind of funny that way. And so really, uh, for years and years, the a CFL ministry has been mainly with the American players because they're used to that in in, in the football culture. Um, I think someone said that still the most cultured culture in the United States is 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 that's Christian is the black culture. So all the black players that would come at least had a church going experience where they would say, "My mom or grandma used to take me to church," you know. So those guys were, even if they didn't come, they were comfortable. Where the Canadians just reflected this, no, isn't religion private? And no, you don't speak out and you don't do this. So often it was the American players we had a ministry with, which was pretty interesting. So then, so then hockey reflected that. What, do you want to be a, you know, a priest or something and hang around our team? And So I remember when I approached the Jets, the GM was a believer, so he, he said, yeah, I want this. And uh, he let me speak to the whole team. And then there was one believer I'd meet with, and then I'd try and do the hang-around thing. The next season, he he was GM and head coach. He kind of fired himself as head coach and stayed on as GM and promoted a guy as his head coach. The first thing he did is called me and he says, I don't really understand what you do, but... It's all brand new here, so you just can't come around anymore. <laughs> you just banned me from the entire facility. <laughs> so then it's hanging around the outside or something, you know, you're using the Christian guy to try and connect. So hockey was really resistant. Yeah, so the cultures are very, very different. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and I, I imagine, too, that, you know, in this process, you're... Um, always trying to get access, trying to yeah. ha having to, um, 
maybe open doors that were previously open and have been shut. Uh, and, and that's sort of the structural piece of this, but you do it because of the personal. You do yeah. it because you're driven by the person or the people. And I wonder if you could, without uh, using names, probably, could, could you share a highlight and, and maybe a low light? Um, you know, th- there have to be some really difficult times um, that, you know, you're thrust into a circumstance where, you know, it just didn't go the way you hoped um, or what you prayed was was answered in a very different way. Um, and then maybe something that that gets you out of bed. One of the one of those highlights, one of those moments that you you draw energy from. Yeah. Well, probably the low light was when that coach said, you're out of here, you know. And uh, I tried to explain it. He goes, I'm sorry. You know, we just can't have this. And then and then I stepped outside of that. And I was in the hallway when this Christian GM then walked by and he, we're chatting. And he says, well, aren't you going in the room today? I go, I just got banned by the coach. <laughs> he goes, well, we can't have that. I want you in there. I go, but if the coach finds out I squealed to you, what kind of relationship I got now? He goes, yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of this. But he never did, you know. So, so that was a discouraging low light to be, to be outside. Yeah. Um, highlight, I guess, would be any time. Uh, I remember, um, you know, football players, say they're huge and they gain their worth by intimidation sometimes. So I remember a, a time where a big D lineman, you know, huge monster, 6'8 or something, he gets bigger every time I tell the story, but great big guy. And I used to have this big red kind of mustache that would just kind of hang all over my face. And he just started yelling at me one time in the room like, like, uh, what? Uh, what's with that mustache? What are, you're a crazy looking guy. What are you doing in there? You know, just really intimidating me. And you have to kind of decide before you go in that love is the key. Or maybe someone taught me that. He says, they, they'll just always respond to love, you know. So I tried my best not to look terrified. So, he, so then he, so his intimidation doesn't work. And then just try and look loving and then just say, oh, well, maybe you can give me some tips or, you know, what's going on or whatever. And uh, so then he really kind of melted because I wasn't, I wasn't looking fearful and I'm trying to just be loving him. He said, oh, I'm just messing with you, man, blah, blah, blah. And so then after that, since that was the connection, I would just, I would always make a point of saying hi to him in the room and saying, you know, there's Bible study today after. You should come. He'd go, you don't want a guy like me at the study. I says, it doesn't matter. You just come, man. You don't want a guy like me there. And then one day, he shows up, you know, because just that continual relationship and and he's opening up to the guys. And so those are the highlights when, when uh, you know, you're scared to do the, the initiation and that, but then... You know, the love of Christ is just kind of melts people's hearts sometimes, I think. Yeah. Well, this is an anonymous player, but we could be referring to him as Saul or Paul, right? It seems like quite a conversion yeah. story. How, how cool, whether he actually yeah. 
took Jesus into his into his heart or not, there was certainly some uh, some ice that melted around him and some transformation there. Yeah. based on uh, the love from you hanging around. How cool! How cool that is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, Dave, if you can share a little bit uh, about the changes in the field. And you know, we say the field. I, I don't know what exactly is meant by that, but but what's what's changed for someone in a role like yours over the past uh, 45 years? Hmm. I'm not quite as, you know, day to day anymore. I I would think, you know, in Canada, uh, just getting more and more and more and more secular, less people going to church. It doesn't quite have the cultural war that's kind of going on in the United States. Uh, I think maybe the non-Christian folks have already won that war years ago. So I think what's changed is. Um, it's a miracle that our chaplains, I think, are still still in those dressing rooms because there's just a either a kind of an anti-religion bias or anti-Christian bias, and also uh, there's such a commit- commis- uh, commitment to diversity. The word would be, well, one religion can't have a guy in there unless they all would have a guy in there, which would be impossible. So we should throw you all out because we can't, we couldn't do it. So I think the chaplains are kind of waiting for that day, but it never arrives. So it, it's miraculous that they, they have the connection they do. And, and a lot of that is from, because they've discipled so many people over the years, people rise up from player to assistant coach to head coach to general manager. And... Uh, I think the management of teams just know how useful and help helpful the chaplains are. Even though culturally it'd probably be a, a quite a big pushback if it was was known as a you know, someone sharing the gospel inside a a locker room or something, you know. So that's that's one of the changes I think. Yeah, so I wonder if I could push that a little bit further. You talked about some changes in the culture or um, differences in culture between Canada and the U.S. for sure. I wonder, have you noticed something different in the athletes? Have you noticed that the athletes respond to different things uh, than they used to or don't respond in particular ways? How, how has their response maybe to the gospel or the way that you even present the gospel uh, evolved or changed um, in the work that you've done? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I haven't been in the, in the locker rooms for many years now because I've kind of moved on to research and stuff. Uh, but I would think the more uh, secular society becomes and the less kind of the so-called Christian nations are not anymore, then there's no background. So, you know, before there might be, oh yeah, I remember that from Sunday school, or, or, you know, my parents took me to church, but now it's just a secular society. They have no idea what you're talking about when, when you introduce this. So, so I think it, you know, you go back to even more basic, uh, does God exist or not? And, which of those two is more challenging? 
the freshness of something totally new or um, maybe the the knowledge of something that I that I may have heard about before because both of those could yeah. present some different yeah. challenges yeah so I still go to a student conference every year that we run our, our national training camp similar to the ultimate camp that the Americans run in the States and there is kind of that freshness because they don't have they're not bringing the church baggage and they're just curious you know so you're and then you're teaching this concept what you're you want to bring a religion into this you know so I think there is a, a fascination with the with the younger culture yeah so Dave we've heard a lot about your experiences in the past now what Give us a sense of what the next five years or so are going to look like for you related to sport and, and, and Christianity. What's what's on the radar for you? Good question. My wife says, when are you going to retire? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 70 in a few months. So uh, I don't know. I'm hoping to, like just to be a continual resource, you know, uh, kind of. Uh, studying what the, what the issues are in sport culture and then trying to weave that through uh, basically what you guys are doing and you know all the great scholars are doing now and in, in integrating faith and sport using the using the Genesis uh, redemptive grid of of goodness fall redemption uh, just always taking sports through that through that grid and analyzing it and then trying to train our staff to to try and understand that so they can keep being fresh with the gospel so now I do things like um, well I'll enter we call it analyzing the messages of what messages of the culture coming from or sending to people that they're embracing you know we just embrace cultural messages well, we get that in sport often through um, through the commercials that uh, Nike produces, Adidas, uh, Coca-Cola as a sponsor, uh, Canadian Olympic Committee produces unbelievable spots just before the Olympics. And so they have this message to the athletes and to the fans about the promise of sport or what we expect from these athletes. Or So I'm always kind of finding those and trying to, trying to analyze them and then because they're so well done, you just embrace the message. They're just so exciting. You just go, yeah, you know. And so I just kind of go, just because the commercial's exciting, how come you wear Nike so much? Oh, I just embrace Nike. I just love it. Well, let's figure that out because that's a form of religion. That's a form of of worship, you know. And um, and why is it working? So that so that we can understand that, and then go. But what's the essence of the essence of the of the message of Jesus that we really need? You know, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, <laughs> actually, yeah, 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 it makes great sense, and yeah. uh, it's kind of the thing too that Chad and I spend time uh, thinking not only about the Nikes of the world, but just about the sports themselves, right? What is the message coming through sports? And is the, is it possible that that's become the idol or the thing that you worship? Uh, those are, those are some of the questions that we, we wrestle with as well as we, um, you know, love sport and, and critique it, 
all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for uh, spending a little bit of time with us. This has been wonderful. Uh, thank you, too, for the uh, long and dedicated career that you've given to uh, sports chaplaincy, Campless Crusade, uh, just moving the um, the ideas forward in the way that um, just gets respected and, and uh, uh, accepted uh, through the years. And just your way, your, mo- your, your manner has made a huge difference. Um, and I think anyone who meets you will say the same thing, that uh, what you bring has been incredibly encouraging and helpful. And so we just wanted to thank you for that, uh, that dedication, that good work, and that faithfulness through, through the process. Oh, thanks, guys. That's really, really encouraging. Really, really appreciate that. And um, it's just been fabulous to be on this, like the same team as you guys. This this whole movement of um, connecting the, the scholarship and the academics and the theologians with the, the practitioners has uh, has just been a fabulous journey for me. And you guys are part of that. So thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life Podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.